You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it is America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, in this episode, baseball's opening day is here already, and the games will be shorter. We crunch the numbers on how the MLB and the MET are responding to audiences (laughs) with less time to spare and shorter attention spans. And then we predict the winner of the men's NCAA Final Four, the OBS way. You're going to do some spelling and you're going to feel mighty nice. Plus, in the two-minute drill, the yonch of a drama reaches its natural conclusion. She murders her phone and cancels Norma. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher and Spotify. You're going to click follow. And on Apple Podcasts, you just hit that cute little plus sign. Send us the voice memo of your dreams. Email us your hot takes, operaboxcore.gmail.com. Going to get the OBS beer coaster for your pint, the OBS lapel pin for your lapel, just for sharing your own hot take. Oliver Camacho. I take it back. It should have said... She and her phone self-emulate. Mm, I like oh, that. Would have been a better, like. but it's too late now because this is the magic of radio. There's no, there's no editing. We it do this live every night, everybody. <laughs> yeah, Weston Williams. Go raw. I go raw. I don't think you go raw. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't do any editing on any of this. I just, uh, you know, I just, I just like hold it for like four or five hours and I'm like I'll send it back to them you know they, they can't tell the difference that you guys don't listen to the show right you know I, I think I'm safe in saying that that's not true I listen to every show oh no I made a terrible mistake Ashley Hardgrave <laughs> where are you now hi gentlemen I'm back home but I haven't been here for quite some time um fun little story time adventure I uh was sort of in the room where it happens um when it comes to March Madness <laughs> and men's basketball uh, my work took me to Kansas Kansas City. And when I got to Kansas City, like the whole city was just wild. And I was going for a conference of 10,000 people. So I was like, oh, the city's going to be busy. Uh-uh. No, not a cab to be had. No lifts, no Ubers. I was like, what is this pandemonium that's insane? They were also hosting March Madness, the Sweet 16 oh, and the Elite 8 Midwest. So it was just full pandemonium. And then when I get to my hotel, all of a sudden I see these huge tour buses. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? The entire University of Miami men's organization all of the basketball players the entire coaching staff athletic trainers cheerleaders and the band were all staying in my hotel and this is a small boutique hotel like it's not big uh so half the basketball team was on my floor the athletic trainers were staying in the room next to me uh i got to meet coach larniaga he is so nice um and i saw nigel pack in an elevator and then i saw him in the lobby after their win against houston um at any rate, March Madness has been nuts, and now I have like an indoor window because I got to see one of the final four teams on their way to the final four. No number one seeds this time. There are three teams making their first final four appearances ever in school history. Mm. This has been a wild ride. And now I am an unofficial fan of Miami because they were all very nice people. So go Canes. Just how <laughs> tall are they? They're so tall, George. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They're almost as tall as Weston. Almost. <laughs> I could have gone pro. Incredible. Let us talk some opera. Subject to interpretation and analysis, let's crunch the numbers. Major League Baseball's opening day is Thursday, March 30th. And with it comes changes to the rules to streamline the game for fans that are dissatisfied with three hours plus games. And of course, the lowest 
runs batted in percentages in half a century. Meanwhile, operas with shorter running times are gaining popularity with opera audiences, whether that's truncated versions of the classics or one-act world premieres that clock in in under two hours, even under 90 minutes. In other words, both mediums are responding to audiences with less time to spare and shorter attention spans. We're going to crunch the numbers and compare and contrast these two art forms, try and figure out what is going on. So team, if we start with baseball, and this is stats I found on a website called Bleed Cubby Blue. I, just a side <laughs> note, I, I, I uh, had a friend who was a bartender in Wrigleyville for years. And I was like, so how long does it take you to, to start hating Cub fans? And he was like, oh, about 12 hours. <laughs> oh, that, that's that's generous. <laughs> that's about the length of a Cubs game in the middle of the season, if we're so, honest. At the very beginning of the 20th century, so the, these, the 1900s, baseball games took about 90 minutes to complete from start to finish. That's like, wow. I don't think anyone would imagine that would be so short. 30 years later, the game takes two hours. This is in the before the Second World War. In the 60s, we're at two hours and 30 minutes. And at the beginning of the 2000s, we're at almost three hours. In fact, the average nine-inning Major League game in 2022 was just over three hours, three hours and four minutes. And as Ashley, you pointed out, that doesn't, that's just the actual game time. Exactly. And to be fair to Major League Baseball, they are actually six minutes under 2021's all-time high, which was three hours and 10 minutes. But the game has been rising in time limit consistently since first starting to really hit that three-hour mark in 2014. But that's the thing. That's just the actual clocked game time. That's not counting your commute to the park. All of the rituals that go along with baseball games, like anthems, seventh inning stretches, getting out of the park and wading through drunk, maybe or maybe not Cubs fans. You know, so if you're doing the whole game, it's like a minimum five-hour commitment. So do some math. Five hours for one game for 162 games <laughs> over a season Jeez. from April to October, if you're lucky. Uh, so for Chicago fans, it's more like August, September. But, you know, you you get the gist. So these MLB teams have seen a 6% decline in attendance, even as much as a 20% drop since 2019. So actually, what are the rule changes in a nutshell designed to speed up this sport? So basically, in September of last year, the voting body for the MLB passed this sweeping set of rule changes. Their hope was that they fundamentally overhaul this game, we increase action, we speed things up. So they're doing five different things in total. There's the pitch clock, eliminating the shift, pickoffs, bigger bases, excuse me, and positions players pitching. So for me, we could talk about any of these, but the one that I think is going to really make the most of an impact because it's already showing that that's happening in the minor leagues is the pitch clock. So yeah. there's not currently in Major League Baseball any sort of pitch clock. So you will see, you know, pitchers taking borderline cigarette breaks between throws. Like, and if a, if a batter wants to like psych somebody out, he'll put his bat down and, and shift and adjust whatever parts of his body he can before he decides to give. It's all head games. It's all head games. Um, so what they're going to do now is pitchers are going to have 15 seconds to throw a bitch. If throw a bitch, they're going to throw that bitch. Um, That's in the locker room. Go I, on. I just got off the tire. I just got off of a flight. Can you tell? Um, so if they're, if the bases are empty, they have 15 seconds to throw that pitch. If there's a runner on base, they give them a little bit more time. They give them 20 seconds. Hitters are going to need to be in that batter's box with eight seconds left on the pitch clock. Um, this rule has already been implemented in the minor leagues, and it had an almost immediate impact 
games have consistently clocked in at under two and a half hours, which is kind of like what people are starting to see as the ideal baseball game time. But it's currently Mm. three hours shorter than the average for a major league baseball game. Meanwhile, in Opera Land, let's take a look at some of these opera lengths. So the long operas, we can all, of course, guess exactly who those were by. (laughs) Those people. In fact, I'm trying to look at the shortest opera that wasn't by Richard Wagner. Oh, Einstein on the Beach is four hours and 15 minutes. Go to Demerath, four hours, 35 minutes. You have to really scroll down the list to get to Giulio Cesare, which, yes, was by Handel, at three hours and 45 minutes. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got operas like uh, Darius Mio's L'Enlèvement d'Europe at eight minutes, Hindemith's Hin und Zurück, 14 minutes. I'm also thinking about Schoenberg, Piero Lunaire at 40 minutes, Amal, Minotti, 50 minutes, and more recently, As One, 80 minutes long, some of the works by Okay, yeah, because Kenny. some of those works you just were talking about are like from the last millennium. So. Exactly, exactly, right. So... When I think about, you know, contemporary operas, the sweet spot seems to be about 80 minutes long. So when we dive into it, then, first of all, let's have a big question. If Americans have less time for sports and less time for opera, but there's obviously still the same number of minutes in the day, like what is everyone doing with their extra time? Uh, I have an idea. Nothing. (laughs) if the pandemic taught me anything it's that we are over scheduled both me personally and society as a whole and especially Mm. when it comes to sort of during and post pandemic i have the attention span of a freaking goldfish okay everything in our society has changed with the pandemic and and all jokes aside i think this period of time at least for me and i'm pretty sure for pretty much everybody around me in my community we've reevaluated the things that matter to us and what we actually want to do with that time, which we found to be so much more precious after we went through something that was so challenging. And sometimes that is nothing. Like I am way stingier with my time than I used to be. I know I'm not the only one. It takes a lot more to get me out of the house and to commit to something, especially a multi-hour event than Mm. it did pre-pandemic. So the Major League Baseball rules are obviously across the entire league, right? They have standardized all that. In opera land, different opera houses are doing different things. They're programming operas by different length. Team, have you have you seen any patterns in terms of, you know, houses of note moving to seasons that feature significantly shorter operas? Or is it still really more unpredictable and kind of catches catch can? I mean, it depends on where you go. I mean, I think the the one of the big things that keeps getting brought up about this, the past couple of seasons at the Met is that, you know, the monster, you know, five-act Don Carlos, you know, had such terrible attendance, but all right. these new operas that, you know, you can sing it, I mean, much more quickly than that. Uh, I, I think more that has more to do with the newness, perhaps, but there is definitely a factor there. I actually went to... Um, the Life and Deaths of Alan Turing uh, mm. uh, this past week uh, at Chicago Opera Theater, and How I brought long was my. That? Uh, 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 it was it was not it was not a super long uh, it was not super Dang. long it wasn't super duper short I believe it was Dang. under two hours um, certainly, 
the intermission was really fast, uh, almost too fast. I had nothing to eat that day. So I ran out <laughs> to like during the intermission to, to, to get like a cookie. And like I was the third person in line and everyone else had to run back in the theater. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think that there's a definite trend of having operas be shorter and shorter, which is something that's started happening in the 20th century, uh, certainly. I feel like my go-to example of not just like not just the operas, the new operas themselves being shorter, but like the the change in taste. Uh, I feel like that began to happen. I feel like the the bellwether performance for that was the famous um, Bayreuth performance uh, by Pierre Boulez of Parsifal, um, where he very deliberately took all the tempos that were that mid-century 1940s, incredibly slow, mm -hmm. uh, daunting, this is how we do Wagner kind of uh, reverence and saying, no, it's much more dramatic if you pick it up to something like, you know, yeah. he might have been doing uh, before or even, even faster than that. Um, there is definitely a trend that's been going on for a while, but I think in the 21st century, I, I often find myself going to the opera with a new opera. And as much as I like the operas, sometimes I'll be like, man, I wish this wasn't shorter than a Pixar movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> so at Life and Death of Alan Turing clocked in at 106 minutes with one 25-minute intermission. And Proximity, the world premiere, which just happened at Lyric Opera, which I saw on Sunday, uh, clocked in at two hours and a quarter. Okay. That's for three with operas, technically. For three yeah, short but, operas, I mean, yeah. It's what we call a triple header. <laughs> well, let's think about like, you know, I mean, time commitments in general, you know, the opera doesn't have to clock in under an hour for it to be like successful or interesting to people. I, I think similarly to the way that baseball's kind of hitting that two and a half hour total event, I think that might also be sort of the sweet spot for, for operas and opera outings moving forward. Now, what you do in that two and a half hours can be a number of different things. That can be all music, that can be a longer intermission so that you have more time to drink or in Weston's case, get a snack. Um, <laughs> one of the parallels that I do notice, um, even though we don't have necessarily like a governing body like Major League Baseball in the way that we do sort of the A houses of professional opera, I do think that the creation creativity starts in the smaller houses the the ingenuity mm. starts mm -hmm. in the smaller houses so where you were starting to see more creative programming more the you know more truncating of classics more like bringing in interesting composers doing creative castings you weren't seeing that at the Mets the lyrics and you were seeing that in Minnesota you were seeing it in Portland you were seeing it in you know Opera Omaha like you were seeing this really creative programming in some of these smaller houses much in the way that they implemented these rules for the shortening of baseball games at the minor league and as kind of a test run of sorts. Now, it, it doesn't operate the same way, but it did go small to large in the way that we're finally seeing that innovation sort of bleed into the major houses in this country. So then, Ashley, what are we gaining, in your opinion, about having shorter evenings at the Opera House? I mean, I think one of the things that we're gaining are the things that we're always trying to get, which are new audiences uh, that might perhaps be intimidated by the longer time commitments. You know, if mm -hmm. if opera is something that people aren't incredibly familiar with or uncomfortable with, you know, we're asking them, hi, you know, this is something that's unfamiliar to you. It's possibly intimidating. Please be ready to spend five to six hours with us on this journey for something you might or might not enjoy. Or if it's some of the smaller, more innovative, creative, you know, sort of projects that we're seeing, it's come try this thing for an hour or two. And it's like, if you don't like it, you've only spent a couple of hours with us. If you love it, or even if you like are intrigued by it, you might want more. And I would much rather have 
new audience members leave wanting more because then they are statistically mm. more likely mm. to return. You know, if we think about the types of things that friend of the show Carrie Ann Otonio is doing, you know, she is... If First of all, if you're not following her on Instagram and TikTok, freaking do it. I don't know what you're doing with yourself. But for people that are <laughs> opera curious, send them to Carrie Ann Otonio. She does these little bite-sized videos about what do you wear to the opera? What do you need to expect when you get to the opera? How do you feel? And she's like, you should wear things that make you feel dope. You should be comfortable. And it, it is demystifying and destigmatizing so many of the things that we want opera to be, which is more open, more accessible, and to gain new audience members. So one of the other things we can do is make the evening more accessible, which might mean that it's shorter. It's tricky, though, because I feel like we're also losing something about the epicness of opera when we don't have, you know, three to three and a half to four hours with each other. I think if you go see, you know, part of the ring cycle or a handle opera at the end of the night, there's this sense that is like, we've really sort of survived. We've stuck this thing out and, mm, and mm -hmm. that we've really experienced something truly epic and truly memorable. Yeah. I, I, I totally do. agree. I think that there's, there's something really cool. I remember the first time I watched Einstein on the beach, which was a live stream from the Théâtre de Champs-Élysées. Um, and I knew it was long. I knew there were like three chord changes in the entire entire opera. But I made a promise to myself, like, I'm going to sit here and watch the entire thing beginning to end, even though in the libretto, it specifies that audience members can leave and come back whenever they want. Uh, and I was like, no, I want to commit to it. I want to, like, say I've seen the whole thing. And it really did change my whole perspective on Philip Glass as a composer and, you know, uh, possibly my perception of of uh, minimalist music. It was it was really something. I take those points. I do respectfully push back and challenge and disagree for sure. with specifically with the new audiences in mind. We are us and we will take that endurance and the survival of the slog as like a badge of pride because we're conditioned to do so and we understand. My I, what I call the Uncle Frank factor. If my Uncle Frank who knows nothing about <laughs> classical music or opera, I I'm I cannot expect him to feel that same pride in three and a half to four hour journey when like nowadays I'm doing something I enjoy that's fun that I want to do in an hour I'm looking for the door like that's just where my brain is with what we've done so far. So <laughs> at any rate, I, I, I see the I see the survival rah-rah. I love that. But I also think if we're continually talking about wanting new people to come and enjoy this magical thing that we love these are ways in which we can bring new people in that are a little more bite-sized and a little more manageable for them. It's it's fair. You know, I just did an opera called Buried Alive, which is 40 minutes long. And there was something beautiful about having a short piece where you could really delve into it and spend a lot of time doing run-throughs and yep. getting, you know, really into the world of that piece. And as an audience member, being like, oh, it's 8.15 and I'm done. I can go home. Here's my fear as we wrap up this segment is that all operas become 80 minutes long and that and that we lose the the breadth of experience. This is the problem now with baseball. Baseball has always been about asymmetricality, no game clock, so games that varied widely in time, no standard field dimensions, right? 
Boston's green monster and the friendly confines of Wrigley Field are on different sizes. And until mm. recently, there was no consistent designated hitter rule, right? There was one rule for the American League and one rule for the National League. And as I see baseball become more homogenized, my fear is that opera houses are going to get less breadth in terms of the types of works that they're doing because they're trying to get it under a certain time point before the alarm rings. I I don't mean to make this topic any longer, but I don't really see. <laughs> I saw what you ironically, did. Yeah. I don't really see that uh, we're in danger of operas being too short. I mean, Fire Shut Up in My Bones was about three hours. Uh, the hours was at least two hours, uh, and it's actually <laughs> I, 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 the you're the doing amazing. Hours. This is amazing. <laughs> um, and I think that it's not financially sustainable for companies to put on operas that are that short. Because it doesn't, you know, you still have to bring in the artist, you still have to bring in the director, and yeah, maybe you save money mm. on, um, point. you know, the rehearsal time, but it's still a show on your season, you know. Mm -hmm. And I do think audiences feel cheated if they're not in the theater for at least ninety minutes. That is that is true. That is very very yeah. true. There is definitely truth being cheated. Hey, let us know what you think. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes. Keep it brief. Operaboxscore at gmail.com. You're going to get the OBS beer coaster, the OBS lapel pen, just for taking the time to share your voice. Back to Ashley Hardgrave with a men's... No. Take it again. <laughs> Back to Ashley Hardgrave with a women's NCAA update because it's all about basketball this month. But the biggest NCAA college basketball history-making thing that happened this weekend was with the gals. Iowa's Caitlin Clark took her team to the Final Four with, wait for it, 41 points, 10 rebounds, and 12 assists. And she is the only college player in men's or women's NCAA history to do it. So she re literally, she is the only player of any gender of any kind to ever pull that off. So congratulations to Caitlin Clark. I think no one in NCAA college basketball has ever had a triple-double. That's... Not like that. Not in tournament play. That's amazing. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Because we haven't talked enough about basketball on this cast, the final four in NCAA men's basketball is here. Technically for the women as well, uh, we are waiting for the playoff result of the final final four spot to happen. During this taping, it won't be released then, but you'll know by the time this comes out. So hooray to those ladies. So this tournament on the men's side is the one we're going to focus on. This has been one of upsets, unpredictability, and zero rhyme or reason in precedent. So to continue to the trend... The to continue that trend of absolute absurdity, we're going to predict the winner of the Final Four based on the coolness of each team's fight song. Gentlemen, Knowledge. are you ready? <laughs> are oh, you absolutely. ready? Let's do ready. it. <laughs> So the final four, again, like I mentioned before, these are all relative newbies to, you know, this level of March Madness play. Three of the four teams in the final four are actually in the final four for the first time in their school's history. And we're going to start with one of the two ultimate underdogs in this case, which is the San Diego State University, the Aztecs. We're going to hear a little bit of that right now.
All right, gentlemen. Well, first of all, we got a little spelling going on. It's going to be a trend that you're going to notice a whole lot in each of these fight songs. But how are we feeling about San Diego State? Well, I'm already, I mean, I stopped listening after like the first line of lyrics because Yikes. Uh, I feel like, why are we talking about all these like Native American tribes and all this savagery? Uh, and then... I, I, I will say, uh, I believe that what I word, what we just played there was instrumental, but on yeah. on YouTube it does have lyrics, and most of these don't do lyrics. So, yeah. so George, but I would love the for you Aztecs, to so... if you would uh, post these videos that we're listening to, so people Definitely. can follow along, because uh, the lyrics are. This is actually a really brilliant YouTube channel. Whoever created this is called Hydra, where uh, it's a level playing field. All the uh, songs seem to be performed by the same artists, and so it's a very even quality of performance. Um, and uh, yeah, you ever can, the critic Oliver, ever the you critic. Can, you can read, you can read the <laughs> the uh, the lyrics of the song as you enjoy the music. Um, yeah, I got turned off by uh, the savage characterization of Native Native Americans, and then I thought it was funny when it was S D F U. Sweet, sweetheart, it's SDSU. That's oh, a, that's an S. That's okay. a Sam, not a Frank, because it's San Diego State University. But I guess we I won't be counting on Oliver. We won't be counting on Oliver to do the spelling for the rest of these. So in the bracket, San Diego State is matched up against Florida Atlantic, which is in Boca Raton, by the way. Yes. What about that their fight song? Well, I will say I give them a award for peppiest lyrics because one of their lyrics is feeling mighty nice. I have to say that was one of the first <laughs> things that jumped out to me. I was like, good job, FAU owls. Well, let's listen to it. They were feeling mighty nice. Again, if you're looking at the references for this, you're not going to hear the uh, you're not going to hear the actual singing of the text. But they are. It's a it's a fun little feeling mighty nice jazz thing. You know, they yeah, all it's got kind of a Sousa marching band feel going on. And I thought that the percussionists in this uh, uh, in this band uh, were pretty good. I, I I really felt there's a lot of possibility for like some uh, Chicago um, bucket boys in there. You know. It's, it's a little overly overly diatonic for my taste. So. <laughs> that criticism well, has been leveled at Florida Atlantic before. <laughs> I'm just... sure this we're not the first ones to tell of that. Uh, and then moving to their neighbors to the south, let's go to my new best friends, the University of Miami. Let's hear a little of that.
So University of Miami is not in Ohio. No. No. But there is a Miami University, right? There is a Miami University in Ohio. Okay. okay. But University of Miami is Miami, Florida. Okay, cool. Yep. I, didn't, I didn't know which one we were talking about. But that I guess was that... fun. That was fun. We should say that. Okay, well, that stays in the show then. Uh, and then... <laughs> Because, um, like, I guess the hurricanes would have been the the key, uh, the clue to there. And I don't know not, if it's not like... a lot of hurricanes in uh, the Midwest. Thankfully, well, plus the, the University of Miami, Florida's mascot is this pipe smoking stork, which I have never understood. That's all. Flo- <laughs> yeah, it's Flo- very Florida. Very Florida. Florida. Yeah. It's very Florida, but it's it's so jazzy. It's like Miami, Miami, ba da 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 da. It's yeah. there's there's a funness. To I found it. the chance like to be really hard in that one, like hard to learn. You know. Maybe very satisfying once you learn to execute it, but uh, not the easiest one to pick up. So it's hard for Oliver to spell Miami. <laughs> the pride of the slog once again, making it into another segment. And then finally, we're going to go out. Oh, I'm sorry, George. Did you want to add something about well, Miami getting, before no, we move on? So Miami is is playing UConn in the other side of the bracket. UConn, the University of Connecticut Huskies. UConn Huskies. Get it? Okay, good. I love this one. I first of all, I love huskies, and if uh, my future husband wants <laughs> to get me a dog for Christmas, get me a husky. Noted. Um, and uh, I thought the melody was very memorable. I felt like I could, you know, learn it in one listening. And uh, there's also that little drama moment that feels like vaguely operatic, like a little some harmonic tension in some, there, some kind yeah. of discount on a Tristan chord action. Who knows? You know, <laughs> if I was making the determination here, I feel like this is the one that I would pick of these four. You know what? I'm going to also back um, UConn because 
I never knew how to spell Connecticut, but now I feel like I, I can't. <laughs> they're, they're plagiarists, though, is the thing, which is it, they ripped off the same tune as the U.S. Air Force song, Off We Go um, Into the Wild Blue Yonder. The final cadence is exactly the same. Okay, well, we've got two votes for UConn, and in fairness, based on the way they're playing, they may in fact win the national championship. George Cedarquist, how are you feeling about these teams if we're picking on songs alone? I'm going Florida Atlantic. It's all about the Mm. lyrics, you know, prima la parole and feeling mighty nice wins it for me. Those are things that you can feel mighty nice about. I am going to go with my new best friends, my hotel roommates, the University of Miami. Good luck to Coach Larniaga. <laughs> I love your jazzy theme song. We will find out next week. Actually, no, in two weeks, which of us is right. Well, the, but according to the OBS metric, we have two votes for UConn. Uh, so that beats Miami. And yep, we, yep. we have, uh, I think we all, did we all want to stay away from san diego and yes we're avoiding the racism here oliver okay so florida atlantic won that bracket so now it's yukon against florida atlantic so can we can we can we play it out a little bit more yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna double down florida atlantic is a number nine seed they're the lowest seed in the final four i love the lyrics on this it it, you know i wish it was modal but you can't have everything (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, Mama loves an underdog. I'm going FAU. Go Owls. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I'm sticking with UConn. So, uh, Oliver, <laughs> so, are we are yeah. we going to have a tie here? I think, what, I think gonna we're going to have a tie. I think it really comes down to the best mascot and its Huskies. That, that's fair. <laughs> that is fair. That is very fair. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, you might have to help us break the tie at home as well. Again, send us the voice memo. Hey, maybe your school has got an even better fight song. You can send us that our way as well upper box score at gmail.com we're going to send the two-minute drill your way now this just in the two-minute drill all right listen up here's everything that you need to know about what happened in opera land this week houston grand opera has announced its 23-24 season which includes the world premiere of jake heggie and gene shears intelligence about women spies during the civil war the season also includes productions of Falstaff, Parsifal, Madame Butterfly, Don Giovanni, and The Sound of Music. The BBC is suspending the proposed closure of the BBC Singers, saying it had, quote, received approaches from a number of organizations offering alternative funding models. If viable, these alternative options would secure the future of the ensemble. The BBC also said that the Singers were back on for this year's proms. Until further notice, the Wiener Concert House will refrain from engaging Theodor Kerensis. Concert House Intendant Matthias Naska said the distancing from the Russian conductor is, quote, the result of an intense, painful process of reflection. Karensis still does not comment on the Ukraine war. I have asked him for a statement which has not come to this day. The Russian Ministry of Culture will contribute $200,000 to Ildar Abdrazakov's international festival. The Russian base has been the subject of close scrutiny over his connections to Putin's government, even announcing a, quote, pause on his relationship with the Met in support of Anna Netrebko last month. For quote-unquote various reasons, the Dresden Mm. Semper Opera and Ballet has abandoned their Twitter account, pointing to the company website for future information and news. This announcement was made on Twitter and retweeted only five times. Hmm, maybe that's the reason. (laughs) 
Bada bing, bada boom! The musical Al Capone, which stars tenor Roberto Alagna, is swimming with the fishes after poor audience attendance sank the production, which opened in January. Only 48 of the originally planned 90 performances of the musical actually took place. At least they didn't get busted for tax evasion, see? Charmed, I'm sure. I'm sorry, I had to. <laughs> a new documentary entitled Janae Bridges Unamplified will air on PBS as part of its American Masters in the Making series. The doc will focus on her artistic and personal journey to the premiere of A Knee on the Neck, a musical response to the murder of George Floyd. The film will be hosted by Audra McDonald. Canadian tenor Matthew Cairns is the recipient of the Hildegard Barons Foundation Award. The tenor previously made it to the finals of the Mets Eric and Dominique Lafont competition and won the Judge George London Foundation Encouragement Award earlier this year. It's a major plaza? Madrid's Teatro de la Zarzuela has named a plaza at the entrance after Teresa Braganza in honor of what would have been the Mezzo's 90th birthday. Braganza's granddaughter said, quote, She wasn't a fan of tributes, but she would have really enjoyed this gift. England's country house opera, Neville Holt Opera, is redesigning its season, citing, quote, the disruption of COVID, record inflation, and suffering from lower ticket sales as families struggle with the rising cost of living. In a tweet, the company announced that the performances of Chanarantula and Warhorse will go on as planned, while Pagliacci and Johnny Skiki have been cancelled. In trade news, Nicholas Chalmers is stepping down as artistic director of the aforementioned Neville Holt Opera. After 10 years, he tweeted... I am aware of the company's shortened season. I played no part in these decisions and they are a separate matter to my resignation. I stand with them in solidarity in these challenging times. Effective this month, Seattle Opera has a new COO in Angela Gist and CFO in Marissa Betts Zoll. Said General Director Christina Scheppelman, Marissa and Angela are tremendous assets to our leadership team and have both proven that they are the best people for their jobs. On the disabled list, an update from last week's episode, Sonia Yoncheva did not sing the final performance of Norma. As a result, Helena Dix made her Toll Brothers Saturday afternoon radio broadcast debut in the titular role. Meanwhile, Blue Checked Sonia Yoncheva tweeted, From today, 27th of March, all social media channels of Sonia Yoncheva will be exclusively managed by her team. The Salzburg Easter Festival has announced that Irlina Garancha has dropped out of her role as Venus in Tannhäuser due to illness. Emma Bell, who recently made Wagner debuts in Munich, Berlin, Hamburg, and Zurich, will replace her. Exit stage right, Romanian soprano and teacher Virginia Ziani has died at the age of 97. She made her stage debut all the way back in 1948 at the Teatro Duza in La Traviata before making her way to La Scala in 1956. She sang nearly 70 roles throughout her career and taught singers such as Angela Brown, Nicole Chevalier, Vivica Junot, Sylvia McNair, Eileen Perez, and Elizabeth Futrell. Australian conductor and pianist Robert Andrew Green has died. He made his debut with Opera Australia in 1985 when he substituted for the conductor in a performance of Così Fan Tutte and went on to conduct more than 60 productions there. He was also a fellow Gilbert and Sullivan enthusiast. Drink. <laughs> Viennese soprano Judith Halas has died. The soprano was a member of the Vienna State Opera for most of the aughts, where she took on roles such as Papagena in Die Zauberflöte and Voglinde in Das Rheingold and Götterdämmerung. And on this day, March 27th in 1745, it was the first performance of Handel's Belshazzar in London. In what is described as the last great moment of Joseph Haydn's life in 1808 on March 27th, the ailing composer made his last public appearance 
attending his oratorio The Creation with permission of his doctor to celebrate his upcoming 76th birthday. It would be his last. In 1819, Rossini's Hermione premiered in Naples. In 1826, Giovanni Pacini's La Gelosia Corretta premiered at La Scala. In 1851, composer Vincent Dandy was born in Paris. In 1854, Heinrich Dorn's Die Nibelungen premiered in uh, Berlin, beating Wagner to the punch on the same subject matter. In 1917, Puccini's opera La Rondine premiered in Monte Carlo. In 1927, Russian cellist and conductor Mstislav Rostropovich was born. Happy birthday to Danish composer Paul Ruders, born this day in 1949. We celebrate the birthday of the late Maria Ewing, born this day in 1950. And in 1958, it was the birth of LP Records. CBS Laboratories announced a new stereophonic long playing record. And that is your two minute drill. Just a little bit of the great Virginia Ziani singing Kil Bel Sogno, Sogno di Doretta from La Rondine, knocking out two of our uh, drill items today. Um, Ziani has a huge legacy. She's not the soprano who is at the forefront of everybody's minds uh, when they think about great sopranos. But you talk to an opera singer and they all know who Virgin- Virginia Ziani was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely one of those... Um there are some like real legacy making teachers and she's absolutely one of those. It's very classical piano like in its lineage of, of the people that she taught and who they're teaching now. And she sang forever herself too. Yes, she sure did. So we have the season announcement for uh, Houston grand opera. And uh, the most exciting thing about their season is a uh, world premiere. Absolutely. Uh, Jake Heggie and Jean Shearer joint, which will star Jamie Barton and mm-hmm. friend of the show Janae Janai Brugger. Uh, the rest, the rest of the season is sort of, uh, you know, not so exciting. But there are some great artists appearing. Uh, <laughs> How can you see a season with Parsifal in it and be like, eh? Well, I'm mean, just saying it's like <laughs> this. It's like one world premiere, one musical, and then everything else is standard canon, it's, which is it's fine. Not, it's not about it's not about the names, right? Russell Thomas, Christine Gerke, Aileen Perez, you know, Luca Pizzeroni, like uh, Jane Glover. These are great names. These are great artists, but the these productions are all co-productions from years ago that are being remounted. That's fair. That is fair. And uh, once again, there's the classic move of like. This isn't really an opera. Uh, Sound of Music. I don't know if you all know this. Uh, a musical instead but of an opera. If we opera. put a, an opera singer in the lead, <laughs> if boy, we just howdy. put Le- Isabel Leonard in there as Maria, uh, I'm sure she'll do a great job. Though I mean, I think that that's you know definitely uh, in her wheelhouse. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I see what you mean, George. It's not not a lot. I mean, the world premiere is very exciting. 
but the rest is kind of standard rep, even though Parse Falls and Falstaff are a little meatier than you would see at a, your typical regional house. Before we go on to the next topic, uh, I just want to say that the BBC Singers thing, I mean, for, for those of us who are singers and like have uh, a lot of singer friends who do choral music, um, we've been watching like the rage uh, and yeah. like the... Uh, you know, the petitioning to keep this thing going. And like, we didn't mention it last week, but all of these major uh, choral ensembles or um, acapella ensembles, smaller, you know, chamber joints, uh, signed a joint letter to the BBC to say, don't do this, you know, and said why the BBC is the only professional choral uh, gig. You know, it is a, it is a full-time job to be in the BBC singers and, you know, all of these other organizations, which are essentially freelance organizations that have great reputations, they look up to the BBC singers as having like, this is how you can actually have a career as right. a singer. And they do so right. much outreach. They do so many, so much new music in addition to performing, you know, in very important events like the proms. And uh, yeah, they, there was going to be a boycott of the proms if the BBC singers weren't going to be on it this year. So BBC is covering its butt, but mm -hmm. I do think yeah. it, it comes from this... Uh, Arts Council England, these really bad decisions that have been made uh, of late uh, with defunding the arts uh, generally in, in England. Well, yeah, and as a choral singer in America, honestly, it's like if if the UK, who is pretty known for actually supporting choral singing, right. if they're having trouble funding their models, like what hope do we have over here stateside? You know, that's the way that if I'm making money as a musician, that's how I'm making it. So as much as it's not, you know, a direct correlation it does make me nervous i'm like well, what's gonna happen to us over here if they can't keep it up over there yeah agreed i really hope that the funding comes through um and i really hope that someone is able to get poor roberto alania another job as al capone i will fund that myself i want to uh, see it so badly <laughs> oh my god it's it's so funny by the way could you all tell i was in uh, uh guys and dolls in it college was once dread, it was dreadful uh, uh, yeah, a person was, uh, can develop an accent. They sure can. <laughs> Proud of you. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, honestly, an Al Capone musical sounds kind of fun. I, I know it had some controversy over its portrayal of women a few months ago. I vaguely remember that there was some some hullabaloo about that, but I don't remember exactly why. But also, <laughs> yeah, so fun, the mob fun being bad to women. Go on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yeah, it's a. Uh, it sounds like it did very poorly, and you know, I um, I wish everyone involved uh, well, uh, and uh, I wish someone would get to work on a on a good Al Capone opera. I think there is one out there, but but uh, I will uh, say that the, I was on a flight home from France uh, earlier this year, and there was a movie selection that I didn't know existed. It's called The Tenor, and it was about this um, uh, Maghreb hip hop. A uh, rapper, Maghreb rapper, uh, who uh, discovered that he had an operatic voice, and there's mm -hmm. a scene uh, with him getting like a voice lesson from Roberto Alagna, which was um, <gasps> <laughs> it was actually a really fun thing to see Roberto Alagna in a movie trying to act like himself. I mean, the other thing that this story shows you is that like new musicals are happening outside of the U.S., right? Like, I think we That's you true. feel that you know Broadway dominates the industry, which it does, but there are other creatives out there this show did what was it 40 odd it did performances about half of its performances at the, at yeah. the folie berger of all places you know so like people are making musical theater work outside the u.s but it just shows you how difficult it is to really make it 
stick. Yeah. I mean, let's see if it lasts as long as, or let's see if Bad Cinderella lasts as long as this does, because boy, howdy, yeah. those are some bad reviews. Yes. So in the continuation of Fallout from the U- U- Ukrainian invasion, um, we haven't talked, maybe we did talk about this, but, you know, Ildar, Ildar Adbratsakov, who was once one of my daddies, uh, he seems to be can- self-canceling. And same with Teodor Corentis, who... You know, when he came onto the scene, I was so excited about just the type of music making that he was doing, like very, right. very stylish, very, uh, very, very like unique takes on things. Um, and now I can't enjoy either of these artists, uh, which right. is a shame. Stupid. Yeah. But, and, you know. and also Corentis's brand is so like you, you would think he would have said something at least, but, you know. Just goes to show that sometimes you can't always see the person in the music, which is unfortunate. But we don't, I mean, now I'm, now I'm like apologizing for Anna Dushapko too by saying this, but we don't know what pressure they're under to stay, you that know, is fair. Um, aligned with their government and like what type of repercussions there could be for them and their families if they mm-hmm. come out and make a statement against, you know, um, Putin. So, well, anyway. if you're Anna Netrebko, you get two hundred thousand dollars from the Met. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was tactical, though. You know, I, as I think we said on the show last week, in my opinion, Peter Gelb was like, you know what? I'm going to lose. It's going to cost me two hundred grand, and it's worth every penny to make <laughs> make her beg. I'm going to do it. Uh, speaking of speaking of uh, the Met. Uh, Sonia Yancheva, yeah, she was a no-show for the... Mm-hmm. I mean, ever since this whole thing started, she Jeez. never came back. And I don't know. We Now we don't know. Is it because she can't sing Norma or is it because her, she really was butthurt, you know? Um, we'll, mean, ne- I, we'll never I, know. Yeah. it's it, And then, of course, I, I think the, the real t- the real sort of like indicator for me is kind of all, is also the fact that she has exited Twitter um uh like uh someone take all away. of her social media apparently yeah, yeah all, all of it i told you it's like when grandma gets too old to drive and you have to take the keys away it's like okay thank you grandma sit down we'll take those i yeah. wonder if that's what happened to zemperopa dressed <laughs> it just seems like her publicist or her manager is like okay you effed yourself and now you've got to like just disappear for a while you know yeah, it, it's a I good mean, call. Once, once you're once you're on that level, you know, I mean, you should probably not have a personal Twitter, honestly. <laughs> just just because it's, I, I there's so few times where it's beneficial to career your career, yeah. and so so many times when it's terrible for your career. Well, I'll, you know? I will say that as somebody who worked for a publicist and who uh, contributed to very famous opera singers' uh, social media, did you um, really? Yes. Um, okay. Wow. <laughs> Color me impressed. You you do need like a team of people who like carefully think about it and like yeah. make sure that your brand is well represented mm. on your social media. Mm. Yeah. And not just you know uh, toilet tweet like our former president. <laughs> you know. <laughs> we uh, we have a running list of notes that we that we use to go through these conversations and there's a really awful joke that's at the end and it's mine so i'm gonna own it and apologize i wrote neville holt more like neville halt i'm sorry i just have to i'm really sorry i'm thinking of neville from harry potter which is also canceled but but in the right posh accent it it does work you know neville halt drink you can sell no 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 you can sell (laughs) 
Let us wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call. To finish things off for you on this episode, we're going to start, as always, with Oliver Camacho and a good call or a bad call. Um, You know, it's a good call because... uh... Carlos Alcaraz, you know, we talked about it last week. He just won Indian Wells, and now he's already in the second week of the Miami. He's clearly going to enter the second week of Miami Open. And uh, there was this match he played where he just demolished his opponent. Mm. And then Jimmy Butler, who I guess is an NBA star. Former uh, Bull. Okay, was was in the uh, audience and, like, you know, wanted to meet this kid. Carlos Alcaraz and like have his picture taken with him because like everybody is now in tennis in the tennis world is talking about Alcaraz as the future of the sport uh he just is very very special and I think if you want to be on the uh ground floor of uh you know the making of a great try to watch this kid if he comes to your town uh yeah everybody's describing him as really the future of tennis so Weston Williams uh, I was kind of following Oliver around all last week, seeing what he saw. Uh, I, I really enjoyed um, uh, 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 Life and Death of Alan Turing, of course. It was nice to see the fruition of the workshop that I attended um, many years ago now, which incidentally was the first time my voice was ever recognized in public uh, because of uh, Opera Box Score. Uh, but I have another good call on top of that. <laughs> Uh, which was uh, the Jupiter Ensemble came to town with uh, Leah DeSandra, Thomas Mumford, um, which Thomas Oliver Dun- was at. Dunford, not Thomas Dunford. Dunford. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Mumford. Uh, Mumford and Sons. <laughs> That's it. Um, uh, it was a great concert. It was, uh, they were doing their Vivaldi uh, uh, concert, but they're still touring around. If, if, uh, if you are out there in the uh, they're going to be in the u.s i think for a little bit longer when this episode goes up and they'll certainly be back in europe uh in a few weeks from now uh check it out see if they're coming s- close to you it's i want to dovetail on that because it was an amazing concert i knew it, it would be i was not surprised yeah but i didn't know the whole band and they have been working with bruno philippe the french cellist the this entire time but i right, never yes. bothered to look at the roster of the musicians besides Thomas Mumford um, and uh, <laughs> Bruno Philippe literally stole the show playing a Vivaldi cello concerto. And like, as Thomas Dunford announced at the beginning of the concert, like all, all, you know, there's a stereotype of, of Vivaldi concertos that they all sound the same. He wrote one concerto like a hundred times, you know, <laughs> but even with that said, like this kid, holy moly it was it was, it was quite something jaw dropping and like the audience gave him the biggest ovation even though Leah is andre was killing it with everything she said yeah uh, and, and he even gave us a little extra bonus when uh thomas mumford uh broke a <laughs> broke a string on his uh on his lute which was uh which was fun um but yeah it was a great concert highly recommend uh, love the jupiter ensemble check it out ashley hardgrave I'm going to have to end it with a bad call for the <gasps> National Hockey League, specifically for my beloved Chicago Blackhawks, who are the latest franchise to drop pride jerseys during their pride night. What? Uh, they said they were doing this for fear of the safety of their Russian players, since our buddy Vlad is so anti-LGBT. Mm. Basically, Chicago said that their defenseman Nikita Zaitsev is a Moscow native, and there are other players with Russian uh, family members that are still in Russia. And so 
they didn't cancel the pride night they didn't cancel all the other pride activities but they just canceled wearing the pride jerseys uh and there are a couple other teams with pride nights coming up there i think chicago was the third to cancel the jerseys and i just think it's really lame so bad call it's completely lame the rangers and the flyers have already made that exact same mistake and caved into pressure i i do not understand it i don't get it i don't like it that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Send us that voice memo. Email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. You're going to find links to stuff we've talked about at our website, operaboxscore.com. And that's also where you can put your money where our mouths are. Give back to the OBS on our donate page. Your announcer is Norm Waddell, your creative consultant is Oliver Camacho, and your audio editor is Weston Williams. For co-host Ashley Hardgrave, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you let your handlers manage your Twitter. <laughs> We're back with an all-new show next week. You're going to get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more Dunford and Sons. <laughs> Join us.